Welcome back to another episode of Epic Earth. Epic Earth is a podcast for those curious about the STEM fields and the awesome, quirky, and fun experiences and research that is taking place right now. This is episode number 11, Going with the Flow. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we take a journey around this epic Earth. How are elements distributed in a planetary body? What are our hopes? What are our dreams? What do we want to accomplish? And how do we accomplish it? We can have all the science in the world, but if it's not translated, how is that helpful? Welcome everyone to another episode of Epic Earth. I'm Ashley Bosa and with me I have my co-host Brian Rosenblatt. Hey everybody. And sadly Scott is not with us again. Um, He's got a busy schedule but as always he's here with us in spirit. Um, But I'm super excited to uh, introduce our guest for this week. Um, Everyone say hello to Mac Beers. Hey everyone. So Mac is pursuing a PhD in geosciences here at Boise State University. Um, he was he was born and raised here in Boise, actually, and he has an undergraduate degree in civil engineering from BSU as well. Is that right, Mac? Yep, that's right. That's great. And can you um, give us a little insight into um, how you transitioned from civil engineering into the geosciences? Yeah, so... Got my civil engineering degree last spring, but uh, during my last year of my civil engineering degree, I was taking some hydrology courses and I just fell in love with it and was super interested. So um, yeah, I started to look into opportunities for graduate school and see uh, what was out there for balancing some engineering experience with um, involving some of the hydrology stuff. And uh, I found an opportunity at Boise State um, but yeah, I, I'm just interested in doing work that, uh, involves like the needs of humans. Um, so that's kind of the engineering side while also caring for the needs of the environment, um, and making sure that we're managing our natural resources, uh, with, with good science and doing it thoughtfully. So yeah, that's how I transitioned. And now I'm doing fun science at Boise state. That's great. Yeah. What a cool transition, especially towards the end of your, your engineering program to find something that you're super passionate about and that, you know, you like to get out and go solve problems in the field every day with. So yeah, totally. Um, great. So um, Mac, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What makes you, you? So yeah, this is always a funny question for me and I, I mean, I even talk about it with my friends sometimes, like, what does make me me? And I think the fact that I think think about it that way says a lot about who I am. Um, I, I really think it's kind of one of the most philosophical questions that a person can ask themselves, like, what makes you you? So I think of it in two different ways. So I'm going to break it up for this answer. And I'm going to answer how I think other people perceive me like what makes me, me according to other people, and then what makes me, me according to myself. So I think this will show kind of the distinction. And even just by doing it this way, I think it communicates kind of (laughs) the person I am. Excuse me. Um, So me, according to others, I think I'm someone who often can come across with like 
a fair amount of confidence and I am who I am, but I'm also super awkward other times. So I think, yeah, you'll probably see it in this interview even. It's like sometimes I'm really confident about things and I just like sometimes I'm awkward just because I'm a human and I get shy or nervous. So um, yeah, it's normal. And I think honestly, I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but the cubicles sometimes are so awkward because like you're be, you'll be working and you see someone out of the corner of your eye and you're like, oh, should I say hi? Like, oh, it's kind of past. Okay. All right. Is that, I just feel like super awkward sometimes, but then other times in class, I'm not afraid to speak up or ask questions or answer a question, even if I don't fully know the answer, just to break the silence uh, when a professor asks a tough question. So yeah, so that's, I think how some people see me. And I think people also see me as someone who has a lot of integrity and as someone who's really trying to do what's right, I know that I'm definitely not always right, but I think people recognize that as a person, I'm someone that tries to do what's right. And then I'm also someone that uh, likes like movies and music. I tend to talk with people about movies and music a lot. I really enjoy that. And I also like, like most geoscientists, I like nature. I like being outside and I like going on bike rides. I like hiking and backpacking and camping. I like all that stuff. And yeah, clearly, uh, based on how I'm answering this question, I'm also someone that likes to explore odd questions. So <laughs> me, according to me, how I see myself, um, I think honestly, this changes kind of day to day or the mood that I'm in. But for the most part, I see myself as just a regular person who's just trying to do what's right and just trying to do my best. And I think um, that's like a big part of my self-image. And another big part of that is that I see myself as someone who's inquisitive and as someone who's really trying to observe the world and go through the world as an active participant. I really try to participate in everything and not just fall in line with what's happening. I try to reflect on things and then make choices. So I think that's a big part of who I am and how I see myself. And I'm also someone who just wants to have fun and and try to do my best to, to be happy as much as possible. So to, to summarize that, I just see myself as someone who wants to do good for myself while also doing good for the world. And I think it's as simple as that. And that's like a big part of my self-image. So yeah, that's, there's my different yeah. answer. No, that's question. amazing. That's a great answer. And I love how you sort of broke it up into maybe how other people have a perspective of you and then the perspective you have of yourself. Um, I do have a couple of questions just based off of that answer. Um, the first is, is what is your favorite movie or genre of movie and genre of music that you like to listen to? Oh man, I have a lot of favorite movies and a lot of favorite music. I think my go-to for movies is usually the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I think I just love that because it's such an epic story and it's on such an epic scale. It's really rewatchable. And there's so many different characters that there's a lot to connect with. And there's a lot of opportunity for that for a lot of different people. So I find myself at different times in my life really connecting to different characters. And I think that, yeah, for me, that makes Lord of the Rings really enjoyable. And it's also just cool. And there's epic battle scenes and like really beautiful cinematography and stuff. Yeah. I also like Westerns. So one of my favorite Westerns is uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. That's a really good one. Yeah. I think that's probably not as common of an answer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have tons of other stuff. Uh, for music, I think my favorite artist is Shaky Graves. Um, he 
he's a really good artist and I've seen him live here in Boise, but he's cool because he'll play guitar and he also turned a suitcase into a kick drum mm -hmm. and he'll play that kick drum while he's singing and playing the guitar. So it just makes him like a really fun performer to, to listen to and to watch. So, yeah. That's, That's awesome. Cool. So yeah. do you want to know the solution to a cubicle awkwardness? I would love to, please. <laughs> I really need help in this because sometimes it's so awkward. I can't handle how it's, awkward it is. It's such a simple solution. You just need to bring a dog in because you don't even have to worry about it. People will come up to you and want to pet your dog and say, oh, that's you. so genius. <laughs> wow. Maybe you Dang, can buy I, like a stuffed one. Yeah. Like, on your desk as a conversation get, starter. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a dog either. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's sparking some ideas. Unfortunately, where I live, I can't have a dog right now. Yeah. So, um, though I do want one someday, I think um, that will have to wait. But I'll have to think there might be yeah. some other solution, some distraction from the awkwardness. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it does get awkward at times. I do that too. I'm like, I have no idea who you are, but you're in my cubicle and maybe I should say hi. And then I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or even people like if you know people, but you don't know them super well. Yeah. And like, you've definitely chatted a few times, but I don't know, it can just be, it can just be awkward. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we're scientists, so we're awkward anyways. Mm. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, my other question is, is I really loved how you described your thoughts on yourself. And I'm, I'm wondering, Mac, just for some of our listeners, um, do you ever deal with like imposter syndrome in this field? Um, or do you ever feel like, you know, so many of us have this daily interaction where we're like, ah, like I, I shouldn't, I don't belong here. And I feel like I'm way out of my like elements. And I'm just wondering um, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I think, I think a lot of people come go into graduate school with not necessarily the degree that's perfect for the exact program that they're in. Mm -hmm. And coming from an engineering degree into uh, a geoscience degree, um, I've definitely found there are a lot of things that I have like never heard of that a lot of other students have worked with for even a couple of years. Um, and that part sometimes to me can feel, I don't personally feel a lot of imposter syndrome. It just feels like I'm trying to catch up a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that's like the like rat race and just trying to like, like keep up the pace sometimes. And that can be tiring, but I try to remain confident in the fact that I was able to learn things for my degree. And even though a hundred percent of that doesn't apply here, I can use those skills. And as a person, I've proven to myself that I'm able to learn new things and learn complicated things. And I know that I can do that in this degree. So I personally don't feel a lot of imposter syndrome, but I try to look at it through that lens of like, I just don't know this stuff yet. And I'm just working hard to try to get up to speed. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I can relate to that, too, because I I did a, a physics undergrad degree and then moved to geo geophysics. So um, I think I think something that gave me comfort was the fact like, yeah, I don't know a lot of this stuff, but I know a lot of some other stuff that people don't know. And that diversity of information that everyone collectively has is good in general as a whole. 
So yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's what makes good science is that diversity. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those are both great answers. And I know that's something Brian and I have talked about before. Um, I have a degree in geology, but I'm doing geophysical stuff right now. And I'm, yeah, like the learning curve is so huge, but yeah, it's, it's good to keep in mind that, you know, you have other strengths which you bring to the table. Um, and it's often conversations I have with my advisor where he knows a lot of the geophysics stuff, but I know a lot more of like geology based things around what we're studying. And so um, it's nice to be able to give him my input um, in terms of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you talked a little bit about how at the end of your engineering degree, you took some hydrology courses and fell in love with it. So is there a particular thing or um, any sort of particular study that like really drove you towards the hydrology field and um or are how how did you really get interested in your field of work yeah i think so i took two courses i took uh jim mcnamara's hydrology course and i took my advisor now one of my two advisors now her hydrogeology course on a bergstrom's course and I don't think it was any one specific thing in either of those courses. I think it was how the science felt as a whole was really exciting for me. And like I mentioned before, the, the balance of like nature's needs and humans needs is important to me. And that's, that's really why I went into engineering in the first place. Um, but I definitely have felt that through my engineering degree, I was heavily leaning on the like human side and human needs and human development. Um, so seeing this other side, the more nature side and the natural processes side was super exciting for me. And I think all of it was exciting because it was just different. Um, and then also as someone who likes to be outside, I was relating my own experiences to the things that I was learning in class and like observations that I had made just from going on hikes to things that we we're talking about in class. And I think that connection of like my experience and being able to be outside and then thinking critically about what's going on was like the most exciting thing for me. So I think that's, that's what really did it. Not one specific thing. That's really cool. And um, it sounds like, I mean, you're in a field too, which is very correlated with human needs as well, right? We're, we're dealing with water and water resources. And um, that's very much a crisis, uh, especially in the Western US at this, at this point in time. So it's cool that you can apply that, that aspect of your, your um, passion to, to now this geoscience field. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah that's what I, I hope to do in the future is, is work on that balance and work with water resources for, for people, but also for, for the natural systems to make sure that we have um, some sustainable um, management practices for, for those water resources. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you're researching for your PhD at the moment or what you hope to research over your dissertation? Yeah, so, so currently I'm doing a few things and I'm so to uh, reiterate, I'm in my first year of my PhD and I've skipped my master's. I'm just going right into a PhD. So I'm planning on spending about five years working on this research. So I'm just getting the, the, the ball rolling and I'm just getting um, things started. So some of the stuff I've been doing is I've 
been going out into the field and I do research in the Dry Creek Experimental Watershed. Um, and for people who don't know, that's the watershed that's just north of Boise. Um, if you're driving on your way up to Bogus Basin, it's a watershed uh, in that area. So um, what I've been doing is going out and hiking in that watershed, specifically in the lower section of that watershed. And I have been basically mapping where the stream has flowing water and where it has dry water. So Dry Creek is called Dry Creek because sections of it will go dry during different times of the year. And this is called intermittent flow. So as a scientist, I've been going out and observing at different times of the year where it has that drying uh, behavior and then the extent of that drying behavior. And I'll continue doing that for uh, an entire year. So I've done it for a few months now, um, starting this fall and I will end next fall. So that's the first task I've been doing. And that's been important because they're uh, the red band trout up in that watershed and they're reliant on that water for habitat. So that's the first thing I've been doing. And then I've also been going out bi-weekly and I collect uh, water chemistry samples and then run those samples. And um, we can do a lot of stuff with this, but right now we're just trying to make basic observations and see if there's any clear signatures of like, oh, when it's clearly more groundwater, we're seeing more of these weathering products or when it's surface water, we're seeing these, or uh, if it's snowmelt, we might be seeing other, uh, other ions and cations. So that's another one. And then the research that I'm planning on doing um, and I've been applying for funding for is the uh, installation of wells. And then with these wells, I would uh, calculate hydro, excuse me, I'd calculate hydraulic gradients in the stream to see if there's a clear pattern of the direction of subsurface flow and that stream drying. So yeah, those have been like kind of my main uh, research like questions and things that I've been working on um, this this fall and into the spring. Wow, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm curious to know in those areas where it dries up in the creek, is it because the water table doesn't come up to the surface there, or is it because like why why do why are some areas dry and then others are pooled or they have water in them? Yeah, so we can definitely assume that wherever there's water, there's at least, the, the water table is at least up to there. Okay. What uh, the science currently lacks is a, a full understanding in multiple different watersheds of what directions of flow will mm -hmm. cause that drying behavior. Um, so to clarify, science uh, has recently simplified the flow into three directions and those directions would be um, lateral so like from the hill slopes going towards the stream and then vertical so from the subsurface up to the stream or from the stream mm -hmm. and then longitudinal which is coming basically from upstream in the soil and coming down just with gravity and that will show some surface flow expression the thing is is those dynamics could go in different directions. So you could have vertical flow coming up, supplying water to the, the surface, or it could be going down. 
which would be draining uh, the, the surface water. You could have a lot of lateral contributions, um, or you could have very little to no contributions. And then the longitudinal contributions can change as well. So what my research would explore is at a higher resolution, those dynamics in a, a study reach that's like 100 to 150 meters long. Um, I think we're hypothesizing that the vertical flow is going away from the stream um, pretty much year round for the streams that are more likely to dry. And that's like a big reason why we're seeing those sections dry. Um, but it could be more complicated than that. And I think the, the wells will help shed light on exactly what's going on. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, it, I mean, it just goes to show how complex these systems are and um, just how interconnected everything is with the topography and the, the surface of the earth, but also everything subsurfacely, right? What, what's happening underneath the what we're actually seeing on top of the, the crust. So super cool. Totally, yeah. for, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, there, there's a lot more going on that I'm not including, like how the riparian vegetation impacts it, how the like changing of the, the subsurface, like if the um, hydraulic conductivity changes or the soil changes, all of that stuff can have massive impacts. So yeah. sorry, what, what were you saying, Brian? I was going to say for our our less geoscience savvy listeners, do you think you could give us a TLDR of what just a watershed is? Yeah, so a watershed, you could think of a watershed in really simple terms. It's basically just a bucket. And if you were to um, have rain go over the bucket, right, or a hose or whatever, the watershed is just that bucket. So it's going to capture all of the water that falls into that area. So a watershed can be conceptualized as a bucket that's going to catch all of the rain that fall and snow that falls over it. And because it captures all of that, the water has to go somewhere and it will usually come out at an outlet, which is usually the form of like a stream or a river. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good description. So Mac, what is the best or most fun thing about what you do? So I, I do a, several fun things, but I think the absolute most fun thing that I do is just the fact that I get to go outside and spend time in the uh, Dry Creek watershed. It's just really beautiful out there and it's always changing. So I've been out there for a few different seasons now and it's just, yeah, it's dynamic and it's beautiful and there's just a lot going, a lot, a lot going on and a lot to see. So I really enjoy that and nothing really beats spending time out there. And then also I think the other really fun thing that I do is really the fact that I get to do a lot of different things. I personally feel like variety is a, is a spice of life and it's like really adds a lot of like value to my life. And I think for most people and it keeps me sharp and happy. So I get to do a lot of different things. So like sometimes I'm writing code, sometimes I'm in class Sometimes I'm working with instrumentation. Sometimes I'm reading papers. I think the variety in like breaking that monotony 
really is a lot of fun for me and like really brings a lot of fulfillment and enjoyment to my work. So I, I really enjoy like getting to do different things and not just sitting at my computer all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of us can relate to that for sure, which makes the geosciences and a lot of science fields really fun because you get to go outside and, and apply your science as well, which is awesome. Um, I'm going to actually go on with that question. And uh, do you have any fun stories from the field that you can share with us? Yeah, I have definitely several, several fun stories. Uh, Well, I'll go with one from last week because it's the most fresh, fresh in my head. Um, So last week I went and uh, collected some water chemistry samples, and this requires me hiking out into the watershed. It's about three and a half miles up and three and a half miles back. So it's about a seven mile hike and it's snowy up there. So there's not a ton of people right now. Um, There's a trail along along the creek. So it is pretty well trafficked, but definitely a lot less people since there's been all this snow. So anyways, I was out hiking. I hiked three and a half miles out and uh, collected some water chemistry samples on my way back. And about halfway back, I stopped at a fork where I have to collect a sample. And I looked up the fork and saw what was clearly a dead animal in the middle of the trail. (laughs) And uh, then I started to look around and saw clearly that animal's blood and fur all over the place Mm -hmm. so I as a curious geoscientist who had to collect a sample right there um, investigated and played some detective (laughs) and was able to yeah take some pictures and make some observations of what was going on and um, while I was also looking over my shoulder every other second worried that there's a hungry mountain lion that was defensive of their food And then after the fact, I and a friend looked at the photos and we deduced that it was most likely a mountain lion that had killed a smaller deer um, up in the watershed. So a bit gruesome of a story, but uh, quite exciting at the same time. So yeah, there are mountain lions up there and that's uh, a bit crazy, but it's it's exciting. Um, And then I've also encountered like bucks uh snorting at me up in some tributaries and i'm pretty sure i also like snuck up on a mountain lion one time because it looked like there was something that was sneaky and quiet um in some brush uh and then i just could not see it anymore and by that time i was definitely walking away well definitely staring at it but like walking away quickly (laughs) and just trying to get away so yeah but yeah it's been pretty exciting up there dry creek is uh it's a crazy place. I've also fallen. I sometimes take my mountain bike up there. I've also fallen pretty hard <laughs> on some rocks doing that and busted up my arm and got, I don't know if you can see, I got some like scars on my hand now from getting pretty scratched up, but yeah. Yeah. Dry Creek is, it's a tough place, but I've, I've thought about, scars. yeah. Yeah. I've thought about like if, you could give a personality trait to uh, um, a watershed. I would definitely say that Dry Creek is pretty, pretty tough, pretty hardy, and a bit sassy at times. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. 
um, a lot of people who work up in that area are like, it's not, it's, it's pretty gnarly. Like it's, it's, you know, you've got to have some, some fun, like skills and just be able to like, take it as it comes basically, <laughs> if you're going to hike that trail, but yeah. yeah. That's awesome though. Um, how scary though, to like be near mountain lions. That's yeah. Cool. I haven't been too worried about them, but it might be good to, if I'm not on the trail to, to be with some other people. So, but it's just, yeah, they're, they're out there and it's okay. I don't think they want to mess with, with humans. So, but yeah. I'll still be cautious and smart, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're usually very cautious and smart as, as scientists. When we go out in the field, we try to be very aware of the fact that there are different types of wildlife out there and they're not necessarily trying to hurt you, but they're trying to protect themselves. So yeah, just got to be aware of that. Yeah. I've also seen rattlesnakes out there. That's what I'm thinking about. Mm, So there's everything. Yeah. (laughs) There's everything. Yeah. It's a, it's an exciting place. Yeah. I'm surprised that I got through my entire field camp without seeing one rattlesnake. Cause we were like in rattlesnake country. I don't know. Mm. must've been kicking the dirt enough that they just didn't want to be around me, but. <laughs> Where was that Ashley? Um, I did my field camp in Northern New Mexico and Southern Colorado. So like right in the, the middle of summer. So. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't see one. I know it's kind of crazy. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. My field partner the entire time was like, I really want to see a rattlesnake. And I was like, I really do not. (laughs) We were on opposite ends of like what we wanted to see. And I was like, let's, let's not pray that we see a rattlesnake. That sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually never seen one before that. And yeah, I was a wildland firefighter and I was on a desert cruise. So we were in the desert all the time. And I guess they probably shy away from fire (laughs) though. We weren't always right at the fire. (laughs) Oh man. Oh, well, I want to ask you sort of uh, a fun question. And it's a question that I think a lot of our listeners really like. And also I like, because I like the creativity that a lot of um, our guests sort of come up with, but if you could describe your work using an analogy, what would it be? Yeah. So I think this is a tough question. I think there's a lot of different directions people can go. And I see why it's a fun question for people to think about. Um, the one that I've thought of, though it is a bit goofy, is if I saw myself as a doctor and I saw Dry Creek as my patient, um, and they had, and let's say Dry Creek has this problem and the problem is stream intermittency. Dry Creek's like, man, I just keep going dry in sections and I don't know why. And I just, I, it's okay that I go dry, but I really need to understand like, why am I going dry in sections and why do I go dry at this time of the year? So as a doctor with a person, I would, uh, if they had a problem like this or like, I feel sick and I don't know why I might take uh, a medical camera and stick it in them and swish around and see, okay, what's going on? What's wrong with this person? And then I'd be able to see, oh, it's obviously you got this problem. And then I'd take out the, the camera and like, okay, this is your problem. Well, with Dry Creek, if I'm the doctor, I can stick wells into Dry Creek and then make some observations. And then with those observations, I could diagnose Dry Creek and say, hey, 
you're going dry because of this. This is your problem. So that's kind of, that's the analogy that I see is I see myself as a doctor helping a patient in some ways. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I like how intuitive it is to think about that. All of us have been probably poked and prodded by doctors before, so we know yeah. we're late. So, um, okay, well, I'm going to ask you um, your first very serious question. Uh-oh. Serious question. Um, how would you solve a scientific problem if you were from Titan? Oh, yeah. So Titan is a moon of Saturn. And we know that there is liquid or there are liquids on Titan. So I, I know a little bit about it. And I know that, that Titan has uh, liquid methane precipitation. Um, I don't think it gets it very often, but it does occasionally have some liquid methane precipitation. And I think as a hydrologist, it would be really interesting to make observations of what happens on the surface of Titan when there are surface, or excuse me, there are liquid methane precipitation events. So um, like as a hydrologist, I'd wanna know, okay, how fast does this liquid methane percolate into the surface? Is there any surface flow and what does it look like? I'm pretty sure there are alluvial fans on Titan. So I'm pretty sure it has uh, surface flow. So like, what does that look like? And does it behave differently because the liquid's different or does it behave differently because gravity's different or does it behave different because the soil and the um, surface of Titan is different? I think that these observations would be really interesting. And if I could, also compare it to the behaviors of earth, I think that that would be really interesting. So yeah, Titan would be a cool place to, to do some research as a hydrologist, I think. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a great answer. Um, and I like it. It's almost like you're studying some of those fluid dynamics and fluid mechanics and figuring out um, how that applies to fluvial systems and on different, different planets, which is awesome. Yeah, it'd be a really good question for a fluid mechanics professor to ask on a test <laughs> I feel I feel like they you could manipulate that somehow to get get students excited about how a different liquid might behave interplanetary yeah. hydrology <laughs> new <Yeah>. field <laughs> yeah at a class I feel like that oh, needs that'd be start. really cool <laughs> that would be a cool class um, great, Mac. Well, we're going to get sort of back into more about your research. And one of the segments that we do is we ask our guests to describe their research and um, what it is that they do to three different groups of people. Um, and so this is sort of your elevator pitch to these, these different groups of people. And um, just to see, you know, how, how well you are at communicating. Um, we all need the practice, of course. Um, certainly even us who have been presenting for a while, but so your first group of people um, would be like an elementary class, like a fourth or fifth grade class. How would you describe your research to them? Fifth grader. Yeah, I think I would like to frame it as kind of some questions to get the, the students thinking, but I think I would ask them first. So have 
you guys ever thought about how water gets to rivers and streams? Like, where does it come from? How does it get to a stream? Well, there are a lot of different ways that water can get to a stream, but the main way is that um, rain and snow will fall into the mountains and then that will melt or will um, already be melted and it will percolate into or go into the soil. And then gravity pulls that all downhill. And as it's pulling it downhill, it goes to one spot. And that one spot are usually rivers and streams. And sometimes in some streams, you'll have water that's flowing, but some streams also go dry during different times of the year. So I, as scientists, look at what's causing streams that go dry to go dry and compare that to streams that don't go dry. And I think that by doing that, we'll have an understanding of what's different between these two areas and why are we seeing these behaviors? Awesome, that was a great description. Um, your next group of people are more like an undergraduate age or maybe like high school age where maybe they know a little bit about how hydrology works, but not a whole lot. So how would you describe your research to them? Undergrad. Yeah, so I'd reiterate, so uh, for students at this point, they know of course uh, what streams are in, in general, just how they form. They know that it rains and then there are streams, right? So I'd say, okay, some streams have what we call intermittency. And that is where se like sections of the stream will go dry during different times of the year. And uh, that means that you'll have like dry sections, you'll have sections that have stagnant pools, and you'll have sections that have flowing water. So there's different flow conditions that you might see. And while this is my, what we might see at the surface, there's a lot more going on in the subsurface. So my research is to observe the directions of subsurface flow and the magnitudes of subsurface flow and how that changes over time to see what is leading to um, stream intermittency in intermittent streams. You're really good at this. I like it. <laughs> I'm gonna take I'm trying, some, I'm I'm gonna take some pointers from you the next time I have to present, um, you know, for outreach or at a conference. I try to think of things as simply as possible. And I think that's at times a weakness, but also at times a strength is that just like, I want it to be simple. And I think that my brain can handle that. And I think if my brain can handle it. I, I agree with that. Sometimes I have to describe things in simple terms to myself, just so I can understand it. Because I, there's a lot of jargon out there that you're just like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, speaking of conferences, though, how would you describe your research to a professional at a conference? Expert. So we know as hydrologists that half of the streams in the world have intermittent flow for at least one day of the year. And previous research has looked at subsurface flow and simplified it to some multi-dimensional flow mechanics. And what that is, is simplifying the flow into three directions. This is lateral flow, so to and from the hill slopes, vertical flow, which is to and from the subsurface, and then longitudinal flow, which is flow along 
the stream in the alluvial fill. My research is looking at stream intermittency and then also looking at the multidimensional flow mechanics in the subsurface and seeing if there's a relationship between the directions and magnitudes of flow and the observed stream drying patterns. And I'm gonna take this research that and this data that I'm collecting and it's going to complement other research that I'm doing, which is mapping stream intermittency and collecting water chemistry samples. Awesome, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. You're gonna do amazing um, at conferences describing your research for sure. Hope so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, this has been awesome. I'm going to finish up with some uh, more serious questions now Ooh. for you um, to wrap up this amazing interview. Serious question. Um, so my first serious question is, um, if you could be any superhero, who would you be? Wow. What a tough question. And by this, you mean a superhero that already exists, right? Um, it could be one that exists, or you could just create your own superhero in your head, mm. like Hydrology Man or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might have a few different answers. You know, I've always really liked Spider-Man. And I took, we were talking to some of my friends at school, and I were all talking about our Myers-Briggs personality test and we all took the test again and I apparently was Peter Parker Spider-Man my personality type so I definitely relate to Spider-Man um, for yeah both those those reasons for liking him but also apparently my personality type according to Myers-Briggs relates to him though yeah, maybe I'll, I'll think about it for a second. I want to give a good answer for a different kind of superhero. So it's a it's a tough question. Um, <laughs> I think sometimes it's fun to think of superpowers that are really mundane, and I think that that might be a superpower that's uh, that's more exciting and more reasonable without becoming some uh oddity in the world I could get by and pretend that <laughs> pretend that I'm a not not a superhero um I think one thing that'd be really fun and that would make my job a lot easier is if I couldn't necessarily fly but if I could like levitate like like three to six inches off the ground that way when I'm hiking I could just like zoom across and like get everywhere I need to go really efficiently but I can't like fly high enough where like I'm actually off the ground um, like Superman, but I'm actually like low to the ground so I could be kind of sneaky about it and then also be like super efficient. I think that that would be kind of a cool subdued superpower that I would reasonably like to have. That's a that great pose, answer. That poses the question, if you fell off a cliff, would you be able oh. to like catch yourself in a levitating state before you hit the ground or something? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And these are the things that I need to think about before I commit to this yeah. answer. You know, if, if it's a cliff, maybe what matters is my closeness to mass. So as mm -hmm. long as I'm not too far away from 
the like cliff side yeah i think i should be able to use my powers of low flying to catch myself on the cliff but i have to be close <laughs> to the cliff checks out makes sense i doubt i'd be strong enough to be able to stop myself from impact straight down <laughs> hmm. that'd, be, that'd be interesting to record that on infrasound as he's like falling down the cliff. <laughs> what does that sound like what is it'd be interesting to think of what does it sound like when I'm going over the ground like what is allowing me to fly over the ground like is there a relationship between the ground and like the bottom of my feet yeah like, there's got to be some crazy waves going on with that right yeah. yeah and then trying to go over water would you be able to get that that opposite force from the water to keep yourself above oh yeah maybe I can't fly as high over water because it's not <laughs> this is awesome just walk on water at that point yeah (laughs) i was really worried you were gonna pick like a mundane like superpower like folding laundry or something but flying on the ground three to six inches sounds much better so yeah it can't be too mundane that's no fun (laughs) do you guys have a a mundane superpower or something or maybe not mundane one that you guys really wish you had oh that's a good question Hmm. Putting it back on us, Max. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good question. It, it says a lot about someone. Okay, here's what mine would be. I would like the ability to alter the bandwidth that I can hear sounds of. So I can go down into infrasound, hear super low frequency sounds, or bring it up into the, the ultra band and hear super high frequency sounds. Just be able to alter that or maybe even put in like a bandwidth filter and and filter sounds in the middle or something like that. That'd be my mundane superpower. That'd be amazing. Like you'd be not only a better scientist, but also you could become a musician with that. Like you'd be hearing things people don't hear. Yeah, those are good ones. I don't know that I have a mundane one. I feel like I've always wanted to teleport. So that's like my thing. I'm like, if I had a superpower, teleportation would be it because you just go anywhere and I'm right back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Would you go like all over the world or would you use it for like, oh, I need to get to school and like, boom, you're at school or would you use it for all of the above? What would be the main thing? I think like just all over the world. I think going to school, I mean, maybe if I'm running late, but like, I don't know, it seems like a waste of a power if you're just like, I need to like show up in my cubicle and be awkward with people walking in and out of it. So, yeah. Um, but I feel like all over the world, maybe the universe, that'd be cool. Like, just be like, you know what? I'm going to go explore this galaxy and you'd have to put die. on a spacesuit beforehand or something so you can. <laughs> Yeah, that will be like my secondary superpowers that I can just like breathe in any. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you have to be careful. I, I'm sure you guys have experienced when you're like sleeping and you're like kind of start to like you're starting to fall asleep and you're kind of dreaming and you like kick your leg. Like, what if you were doing that and you like accidentally teleported yeah. into space? <laughs> like while you're like, you have to be really careful. Or maybe you just teleport to space and sleep there so you can have a nice, quiet environment. Yeah. In a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, You might teleport to like the grocery store in your pajamas and you're like, yeah. You like wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, to teleport back real fast. (laughs) Yeah, that might be awkward. 
but but fun fun stories yeah. be good conversation starter <laughs> it would be yeah I'm sure it wouldn't happen too often but something to think about for sure oh my gosh yeah that's a fun that's a fun question also a fun conversation that we just had I love it um I have one more question for you before we end um do you fish at all Mac I don't fish I am somewhat interested in fly fishing but yeah I don't know if I if I'd ever really get into it it's more for me like I've been out fly fishing um, with people that are really into it and for me it's more about just like being outside and being in beautiful areas and just like being at peace with with the river so nice um because my question was do fish get thirsty oh <laughs> um you know I think they they get thirsty but they get thirsty for oxygen Ooh, I think nice. I think the dissolved oxygen is really important for fish right so if and this is a big part of my research because fish are impacted by intermittent streams but if the water's too warm then you won't get enough and it's off also if it's too stagnant you won't get enough dissolved oxygen and um, the fish will suffocate but i think it's compa a comparable analogy where they they get thirsty for oxygen just like we get thirsty for water and if they don't have enough oxygen then they'll suffocate so that's my working my way around your question <laughs> scientific answer yeah you're just doing amazing so <laughs> I feel like you, we could just sit here and interview you on all these questions all day long so <laughs> I love answering these weird questions um me and Reed who is in my cubicle with me he's uh Kendrick Kaiser's one of Kendrick Kaiser students, we just ask each other the weirdest questions all the time. And we just like to explore them and joke about it. So we really build off of each other. And it's a lot of fun. Do you guys think that fish get thirsty? I mean, I would go with your answer too. That would have been my answer is yeah. Like the dissolved oxygen is what they're really after. So, but I think every once in a while they crave like a Coke or something. So <laughs> probably, probably. I mean, they're just eating bugs all day. I'm sure they want something different. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, you guys. Uh, well, Mac, this has been an awesome interview. You've got a lot of insight on water resources and um, hydrology in general. And um, super cool that you came from a background which wasn't necessarily... Um, you know, inclined towards the hydrology, but that you found a niche which you could sort of set yourself in and, and explore. Um, so that's super awesome. Um, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to before we end your interview? For sure. Well, definitely got to give some shout outs to my advisors, Anna Bergstrom and Kevin Roche. They're so helpful and so knowledgeable and very patient with me. And yeah, I'm just very thankful for, for how much they helped me and um, how excited they are to help me. So I'm very grateful to them. Um, I'm of course grateful to uh, my peers as well. So Reed again is, uh, has been a good peer to me and has helped me work through some stuff in class and with my research. Bridget Bittman and Hannah Richardson also have helped me with a ton of stuff. They're always, I'm always asking them questions and they're always very happy to help. So I'm very grateful for them. And then of course my partner, Emily, she's amazing and she's always supportive and always helping me through graduate school. So I'm very grateful for her and also just my, my family and the rest of my support. They're all amazing and I love them very much. So thank you all of those people. <laughs> I appreciate you. 
Awesome. Well, Mac, thank you so much. This has been great. And um, we look forward to hearing more about your research in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate your guys' time. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later, Mac. Sounds good. If you ever see me in a cubicle, don't be afraid to say <laughs> hi. <laughs> Same to you. Sounds good. Well, that was an epic conversation. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. Tune in next time for another Epic Earth podcast. Um, so, Mac, what is the best or most fun thing you've done? Um, or what do you like? What's the best thing you do about your like of your research that? Sorry, that was really an awkward question. <laughs> this will go in bloopers for sure. <laughs>